Hi everyone, welcome to Such Good Feeling. My name is Steve Anderson and today's guest is someone who I most often describe to people as magical. Her gift for songwriting is simply extraordinary, often combining poetic lyrics with the most gorgeous melodies, either when writing for other people or singing in her effortlessly beautiful voice. So a warm welcome to Fiona Bevan, all the way from Portugal. Hi Steve, you've literally made me cry <laughs> with that nice intro, <laughs> Didn't thank <take> you. <laughs> yeah, so you're in, in Portugal doing some writing sessions, right? Yeah, that's right. I'm just here for a few days and then back to the UK for gigging and more writing. Yeah. Must be nice. To, I know we're sort of kind of really pretty much over this sort of thing now, but it must be lovely to be back in rooms with people writing songs rather than looking oh, at yeah. screens. Oh, it's amazing. I mean, I did do quite a lot of writing on Zoom. Yeah. Um, and of course, that is wonderful for connecting across the oceans, but there's nothing like being in a room with real humans, real chemistry. You know, you can, there's body language. You can really read what people think about things. You can, it's just so much more nuanced and immediate and yeah, long live hanging out with actual humans. <laughs> like long may that continue. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I also think that the, um, it's the silences and the moments, you know, those things in writing rooms where it's not working or people just need time to think. And yeah. that feels like, you know, like 10 minutes feels like 10 hours when you're on a Zoom. <laughs> yeah, it's like the digital abyss. <laughs> yeah. No one saying yeah. anything. Whereas actually when you're in a room and it's kind of not working or something and you need your own process, you can, you know, disappear and say, I'm just going to go for, a, you know, get some food yeah. or, yeah. Um, because I think it's, it's really interesting when I talk to writers and when people have listened to these podcasts who are not in those rooms, can they find it very fascinating, the process, because, yeah. you know, so much of it is about connecting and not writing songs. Most yeah. songwriting days don't involve writing songs. They involve yeah. chatting and yeah. getting to know I mean, each other. It is strange, isn't it, what we do? You know, we go into a room with often a bunch of total strangers and fairly quickly start talking about breakups and, you know, lo losing loved ones or falling yeah. in love or, <laughs> and then we write about it. So, but not, but also we, we try not to do that in like an exploitative way where someone feels like we're just mining them for <laughs> like juicy details. Yeah. It's so strange. You know, because you walk into a room and you're a professional songwriter, you could write a song about anything. The worst thing you could do is walk into a room of an artist and say, so what do you want to write about? And they go, Oh, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that does happen as well because and also actually that's been a very tricky thing in the last couple of years. Cause I think there's been a real feeling that people don't have anything to write about. They haven't been living, haven't been going out, haven't been seeing anyone. And actually I think we all need to have adventures, even in the smallest way or sort of on an emotional level. You need to have adventures so that you have something to write about, you know? Yeah. But it's like, otherwise art is going to mirror life and it's going to be so boring, <laughs> you know? Exactly. And actually, and I think coming out of all of this, uh, people, there was a point where people were reflective and they wanted to do that. But now it feels to me more than ever that people kind of want joy. Yeah. And, you know, they want to have that that thing where we finally hopefully get this kind of third summer of love that I keep talking about. That, oh, yeah. Please let that happen. Yeah, Bring yeah. So, yeah. you know, there there's has, I mean, reflection is always important, but I feel like everyone's now, yeah. And again, being back in rooms is, is fantastic. Um, yeah. 
So this is quite interesting because I often talk to people about the beginnings of uh, the music in their house. But I remember when we've spoken before because we know each other a bit, um, yeah. there wasn't a, really a lot of pop music going in your house at all, right? Yeah, I really grew up with very, very little pop music. I mean, obviously just being alive and out in the world, you hear bits on the radio and things like that. My mum had a Beach Boys record um, and she had a couple of Harmony Group records. But actually, mostly what was listened to in the house was old um, music from the old black and white musicals, sort of 30s, you know, 40s, 50s. So, you know, no Beatles. I didn't really hear the Beatles, you know. And, and, and obviously, and also some classical music. And I, you know, I had violin lessons from when I was about eight or something like that. I had piano lessons from when I was four because apparently I begged my mum piano lessons which is so interesting isn't it as a four-year-old but like yeah so I've had this huge I'm still on this huge journey of discovery of pop music you know of course contemporary pop music but also stretching back into the beginning of time it's like I I feel endlessly that I want to absorb it and find out and because other people have sort of was like by osmosis I've just absorbed it their whole life so I've got some catching up to do but maybe I'll always feel like that you know maybe other people feel like that too I don't know yeah I mean it certainly hasn't done you any harm um, <laughs> as far as a, an artist and a writer's concerned but I do think it's interesting because there is a lot of people associate I always say that sort of I don't know 13 to 15 years old period of that magical mm. where the songs from those two years mm. mean so much more to them than others but yeah. actually you, you know you're, you're coming a bit later to it well, I suppose that period actually is when through friends and my big brother and big sister, you know, I started to, I sort of discovered Radiohead and Mariah Carey and Pearl Jam and, um, you know, a very odd combination, but I just, yeah, started to absorb it all. And that was actually, there were some amazing bands around at that moment when I was a, a teenager, you know, so Yeah. And also, I mean, firstly, incredibly brave parents to let a child learn a violin at eight. <laughs> yes, horrific, horrific. I actually learned for about four years before. I, I, I remember getting taught vibrato when I was probably about 12. Yeah. And I, I remember doing vibrato for the first time and thinking, oh, that actually sounds quite nice. So I've been playing for four years and never thought that sounds nice. <laughs> oh, wow. So it really so was just yeah. long, harsh, <laughs> straight notes. Wow. Scraping away. Yeah. Scraping away. Yes. The old, the old cat. Yeah. Um, I'm guessing though, there, because obviously of your incredible knack with lyrics, that you must have been surrounded by books or poetry or something when you were a kid. Yeah, definitely. And I loved reading. As soon as I learned to read, I was writing stories and poems and just absolutely gobbled up literature, you know, and I still do, you know, yes, I was brought up around books. My family's got, always had books on shelves and, you know, you can always just wander into a room and like have curiosity and just pick something up. And so that's amazing. And I always say to songwriters, you know, when they're asking me for tips on how to get better at lyrics or how to get going, I'm always like, read, you know, because that part of writing songs is about words. I know melody is king, but, you know, lyrics are queen. Not that the Queen is less important than the King, but oh, getting into a feminist debate there. But what I'm saying is the lyrics are still important in, you know, as a way of touching people and, you know, telling a story and stuff. And the more you can expose yourself to lyrics, whether it's through like listening to all sorts of music and hip hop, which has amazing lyrics and, and 
poem, but also, yeah, reading books and poetry. Because you just might discover something extraordinary, you know. Exactly. It's interesting. I spoke to, um, recently spoke to Pete Bellotti, who wrote a lot of the Donna Summer songs, wrote I Feel Love and Love to Love wow. Baby and things like that. Wow. Lovely, yeah. lovely, lovely man. And um, he, had to, he had exactly the same thing. Whenever they went in to make a record, he would read a whole bunch of things and normally find one book per record that it would base the whole thing around. Wow. So that's how that's they incredible. got, yeah, yeah. Cause a lot of Donna's early albums were kind of, they were, they had a theme to them. So yeah. it was like over the seasons or it was, so he would always go and find, find a book to be inspired by. Um, oh, that's so cool. I and, love that. I love concept albums. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. Well, yes, yeah, so you've done a few as well. Yeah. Um, but I, th- but yeah, I do, I do think that would absolutely massively help. And again, poetry as well. It's, you'd like to think obviously it's harder these days with so many you know all the devices and everything but actually just walking into a room picking up a book and just you know spending time with it without anything else going on in the world yeah is so immersive and so brilliant and yeah. still worth doing i think and it's also very good for our minds because it's mindfulness just to read and go into this other world where, with no distractions you know and there aren't very many things in our lives at the moment where we do that i mean playing music is a bit like that of course but we're so often just like quick, quick, you know, flicking between apps and you know, online and just, you know. So there's something very special about reading about the concentration and relaxation and sort of escapism. Well, for me, that's like very important for my mental health and happiness. Yeah. I agree. And plus your interpretation of the story is completely unique to anybody else's because you're playing the pictures yeah. in your own mind in a different way to anybody else will. Yeah, it's so amazing. So you so you learned to play the piano. Was that was there a piano in the house as well, or was that just where? Yeah, and actually, both my parents played the piano. Um, you know, no one in my family is a professional musician, so I never had that in my head, and I didn't, you know, I didn't really know that was possible actually. But um, there's a lot of love for music, and my dad plays piano. He can sort of play anything on the piano just by ear. He's never had a single music lesson in his life. Doesn't know where middle C is, but he just uses his ear and plays things in his own style. And my mum also has very good ears and she was brought up singing harmony with her siblings. And so I think when we were little, we were all singing in harmony. I mean, it sounds so sort of sound of music, doesn't it? But it's like, it really, and I didn't realise it was quite strange until I was a bit older. It's absolutely not strange to me for everyone to just break into four part harmony (laughs) around around the washing up or whatever. But yeah. And with the piano lessons, obviously you're, you're being taught how to kind of play, but did you just do the basics and then ended up starting again, pretty much picking up stuff by ear? Well, actually, no, I did. I did have piano lessons till I was about 15 or something. Oh, were, were proper, properly trained. Yeah. But I think, you know, I realized when I was a young teenager that I was never going to really be like virtuosic on an instrument. Yeah. Although now I would say to you that my main instrument is singing. Like, I never used to think of my voice as an instrument. But anyway, um, I think when I got to about the age of 15, 16, and I was doing GCSEs, I was like, it's too much. And I, I kind of stopped having piano lessons, but I carried on just composing on the piano. I mean, from the word go on the piano, as soon as I was having lessons, I was writing, you know, so age four, I do remember a light bulb moment of putting different chords together and going, oh, that sequence sounds really nice. And I knew, and I got the excitement and I knew that I had written music even though I wouldn't have even had the words to say that at that point but I remember that moment so clearly like the same as I remember 
the first moment when I was swimming and I and didn't have my feet on the floor and I actually went, you know, so it's like, you know, it's one of those amazing moments that, yeah, it must have been about four, maybe five, I guess. Wow. So strange, isn't it? And when, when do you start to kind of scribble words down? Well, yeah, as soon as I was reading, I was like writing poems and stories and stuff. And I used to make little books and things like that. And then, but, you know, my first actual song, I, I think I was really, I put them together when I was about 12. Um, that's the first time I really think I was writing a song. And I knew that I was writing songs. I hadn't really heard that much pop music by that point, but I, I knew I was trying to write songs. Definitely didn't know what a middle eight was at that point. <laughs> Or a pre-chorus or anything, but you know. But isn't it strange how you find these things even because if you're interested and sort of fascinated in it, you end up following it and finding it, whether it's earlier or later, I think we find our path, don't we, if we're open to it, you know? Absolutely. Um, And are you playing, initially, obviously, you're writing these kind of songs, playing them, probably just playing them to the family. When, When do you start playing them to other people well I definitely I don't think I I don't think I was even playing them to family maybe I played them to my sister but I mean like the first time I ever really performed one of my own songs was like in a school talent competition I was probably like about 14 or something like that and actually my little sister played with me because she's a very good guitarist and singer and, and now songwriter as well not that she does it professionally but she's amazing she should well she could but um we, we did it as a duet and it was the most amazing feeling to sing and play one of my own songs. And I, and I think we came like second in the talent contest of the school or something like that. It was, it was the most incredible buzz. So I kind of got the bug, you know, and then I got into a band a year after that. And then we were gigging, writing all together, you know, recording and the rest is history actually. <laughs> And, and at school, after you'd done that, how was, what was the reaction? Because I've spoke, there's always seems to be two different reactions. One are, is kids are really, really supportive and go, oh, wow, you're amazing. And the other is kids are very, very jealous and end up sort of not liking the fact that you're showing off. How was your experience? Well, I didn't find, I didn't think people were jealous. I think maybe people didn't know what to make of it. But I mean, I went to quite a kind of geeky school where it was, you didn't get bullied if you were clever and you didn't get bullied if you were interested in good things. And, and actually that was for someone like me, that was the saving of me. I don't think I would have been able to go to a school where you'd, if you liked reading, you would have got bullied, you know, and I feel terrible for kids. You have to go through that. I mean, you come out the other side stronger, I suppose, but I was sort of allowed to be my own strange self, you know, and, I think actually as a musician and songwriter, you need to find yourself, don't you? You need to find a place from which to write all the songs. And like, you have to not be afraid of that place. So I think that school was actually incredibly, it was a very academic school. So they were definitely, they didn't think it could be a career, but like, it was definitely a place where I could, to some extent, explore those things. Yeah. And the first band, is this you as a, 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 is it you with a band or is it a band as in, does the band have a name? Yeah, it was a very completely democratic band. It wasn't me and my band. It was like four of us, two boys, two girls. And we all wrote together as a band. So my, you know, early co-writing experiences. 
and we it was a really cool band actually like there's not I don't think there's anything online which is also an interesting thing you know I got to develop offline out of sight of the world you know there's no evidence trail I mean there probably is but you'd have to search very very hard I don't think it's on there but like yeah it was a really really lovely so we became best best friends wrote everything together we were a really good band like lots of harmonies quite heavy at times kind of melodic indie cinematic odd punky moments <laughs> we really were exploring into a lot of different corners you know um but they were just brilliant times and we learned how to record made a record made a cd you know booked gigs went and sold the cd at the gigs and had a really brilliant incredible experience yeah i think that's interesting what you say there as well about being able to i, I kind of sometimes say it's about it was quite lucky pre that sort of massive internet thing where you could make all your mistakes before whilst yeah. no one was watching so <laughs> yeah. when it came to the point when you had to be kind of good that you could sort of come a bit more fully formed than you would have done whereas now it's t so tough because people yeah. have to do that in public yeah that's terribly difficult and i think i can feel that young people are afraid to put a foot wrong and i think I think they feel that the world is unforgiving and that perhaps it is, but I do think, you know, you can always like have a sort of artist pseudonym and just experiment. But yeah, I think it's very difficult and I feel very lucky. I've sort of had this weird career where I've bridged, I started just before the internet was really, really a thing. And yeah, I mean, it's it's changed the world in such a deep way forever and there is a before and an after and i've somehow straddled the two i mean not not as much as someone who was kind of famous before the internet because that's a very different thing and so i never quite benefited from that era of music you know like you know i don't own like a mansion or something you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but like as, as some people do who sort of had hits in the 90s or whatever but yeah i think I think it is difficult for kids now with the internet. I mean, it's also an incredible resource and you can do so much with it. And actually kids are so smart. They're, they're inventing how the internet should be used every single day. And they're kings of the world and queens of the world, you know. They are. And I think it's really interesting watching some new artists that, um, that you know, we're, you and I love kind of new music and new artists. And yeah. it's actually great when I see new artists that will just be putting up little kind of them singing one of their songs, just a little clip on Instagram or a little something, yeah. but it's not out. It's not there. It's just like a demo or something, but it's not judge me on this. It's like, here's me singing a song in my bedroom yeah. and, um, and I'm just getting ready. Basically I'm just getting myself yeah. ready, but I'm not ready to release anything yet. Yeah. And there's no rush. Yeah. Like they've got, for, they've got so long. They don't yeah. have to rush everything out. It's like, and in a way it's kind of, in the old days, you'd kind of do a demo of something and really only you and anyone who played it, you played it to would hear it. Yeah. But now at least there's an opportunity for people to, to do that. And I sometimes talk to yeah. these people. I know that you're a mentor as well for, for some artists. And uh, I always say to them, it's like, don't like allow that whole Instagram social media thing. Find the audience that you want. Find the audience that, you know, it's better to have 200 people who really love what you do than 20,000 
who are kind of a little bit a follow a million people yeah exactly yeah cultivate your own cultivate the audience that you want because they'll stay yeah definitely I mean I think as well as that as the bedroom stuff now that you know hopefully now that gigs are opening up again I always tell young songwriters to go to open mic nights and just try it out in front of a real crowd because then as soon as you do that you're like oh this bit feels really long it's still okay we're still you know and you could just tell by the reaction. So I think that's been an incredible tool for me as well to try things out in live context. Um, it's more difficult if you're not a singer and player as well, but you can also get someone else to perform the song. You know. um, so, yeah, I think that's really, really valuable as well as popping up demos online because you get good feedback that way as well. You know? Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. So when the band was over, does it? do you go into another band or do you say it's just me now well yeah it kind of was just me you know it coincided with going to uni so I I was like oh I really miss gigging so I taught myself guitar because in that band I was a bassist and singer so I taught myself guitar so I could kind of do solo gigs and and I was in London for uni so I just like started to play open mic nights and um acoustic nights and things like that and I was kind of gigging on the guitar before I could even really play the guitar but I was just kind of trying and going for it and experimenting and and then you know that coincided with this era of discovering you know Joni Mitchell and Leonard Cohen and all those more and Tracy Chapman more singer-songwritery so you know and I hadn't heard those artists before so yeah it was a little new era and actually that was also the base of what I now do because I, I still play singer-songwriter music you know whatever that means you know, as a genre <laughs> but um yeah and I was still doing co-writing like one of my best friends at uni was an Indian musician who plays Sarod which is a bit like a sort of banjo or a lute an Indian kind of banjo and um he's now like doing incredibly well um we're still really good friends but we some of those early collaborations were really interesting like fusions so you know moving to london with the sort of melting pot of music and culture all around me was just incredible and part of my journey yeah and when when it actually came to recording your songs as you and putting out your first ep how did that come come about it was amazing actually because in those early years in london a very good friend of mine was studying music tech at uni and um and maybe it was just after uni. So he was then working or maybe in his um, like middle year of uni, he was working in the studio and he would have his downtime in the studio. So he could use the studio from 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. And he invited me to come and record some songs. And the first time we ever did it, we went to Strong Room, which was beautiful. And uh, for anyone that's ever been in Strong Room, you know, it's, if you haven't been in there, it's all like tie-dye, psychedelic, kind of 60s, 70s, beautiful prints on the walls. And it just feels so organic and kind of trippy and beautiful and creative. So we went and recorded a song in there and I pressed it up and kind of, you know, made a really short run of CDs, which I then sold at gigs, saved up money. And then the next lot we recorded, like a little while later, he was working at Abbey Road so we actually used to go into Abbey Road at 8 p.m. and work all night in this crazy tripped out way and finish at 8 a.m. 
we'd get the bus home while everyone else was like going to work. And, you know, so I recorded on hallowed ground and like I played, you know, Mrs. Mills, which is the piano that the Beatles used in like Obladi, Obladi, you know, like, and it, it was mind blowing and it's still mind blowing when I think about it now, you know. It's weird, isn't it? Walking through those doors for the first time. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And actually, actually we're, doubly weird for you because you didn't have that initial history, as you say, with the Beatles. It wasn't part of your yeah. childhood, but still, it's it's still Abbey Road, and you still get that. And I found, yeah. I, I don't know if you found this as well, but I found it went from intimidating to warm very quickly. Yeah, there's such a vibe in that place, you know, in those big rooms. You know, there's something magical. It's yeah, it's not intimidating. It's it's a homecoming of some kind and yes. they're, they're beautiful sounding rooms. Everyone that works there is sort of excited to be there and there's lovely energy. Yeah. And in a way now, because I've been back to work again a couple of times recently and I've done a talk there and a songwriting kind of camp there. And in a way, now that I'm a bit older and I understand more and more the importance and the genius of the Beatles, you know, almost every year as I get older, I'm, kind of understanding it in a deeper way so then every time I go back to Abbey Road I'm more like wowed by it you know it's yeah. so strange yeah it's an interesting journey so for the next few years after that with the swimming pool EP and uh, leading up to us in the darkness you, you you're just recording and gigging and yeah having and loads having of fun, multi right? multiple day jobs <laughs> But, you oh, know, really? What, of, what, what yeah. sort of day jobs did you have? What what day jobs haven't I done? <laughs> yeah, because I mean, you know, I I didn't have any money to live on. I had to pay London rent. I never did any squatting or staying for free anywhere. So I was always like working in a shop or a coffee shop. Or at one point, I worked in the music industry for one year, but I got out again pretty quickly because it really wasn't right for me to be on that. Yeah, I can't see that. Knowing you no. as I do, I don't see that as being a good fit. But it helped me realise that I was supposed to be a singer and a, yeah. a writer and I was supposed to be all of it. But so it was, it was very valuable for me because, you know, I wasn't brought up thinking that music was a career. So I was trying to find a place in it where it could be a career. Yeah. And obviously working for a company in the music industry, yes, it's a great career, but not for me. Yeah. Um, it was good to learn that quite early on. But yeah, I was also, I was a PA at one point. Um I worked for a charity for a few months as well. I've um, made coffee. I've been, I've done drinks, waitressing at events. Um, I'm trying to think what I haven't done. I worked at a bookshop. Um, now that I get. Yeah. Okay, you love that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I understand that, that. It would be a good yeah. one. <laughs> but yeah, so now I'm very, very happy that my full-time job is music and long may it continue. You know, I've been full-time music about nine years and Amazing. honestly i'm still grateful every single day yeah and were you before the ed co-write were you co-writing for other people with other people for other people well i had i was working a bit with a friend of mine who's making electro music and so i was writing i didn't realize that i was top lining and i was writing the melody and lyrics to his tracks and we did quite a few and that was really fun. And I really loved, and, and for me, it was liberating on a more sort of pop hat than I had been wearing for my artist career. So like, I could suddenly see, oh yeah, it's really interesting when you get to inhabit a different personality and write from a different voice or viewpoint. So they were formative experiences in, in you know, co-writing and collaboration. 
Um, but yeah, I wasn't really doing any writing for other artists. I was, you know, collaborating with people like Sho McDutta, who's my friend from uni, who's the Indian Sarod player. Like, so I was doing projects and collaborations and stuff, but yeah, I wasn't really writing for other artists. And, um, and the way that it happened with Ed Sheeran was like, I literally woke up in a cold sweat in the middle of the night one night and thought, I can't survive from what I'm doing. I, you know, I had a couple of day jobs and I was gigging a lot. I was selling CDs at gigs. And, um, but, you know, I just, I wasn't really making enough money to survive in London. And I just thought, right, I've got to diversify. I've got to try writing songs for other people. And I'd been to a talk from, I think it was like Basco, which is now the Ivers Academy. And they had done like a panel, you know, with a few different songwriters talking to us. And I, it was a light bulb moment of like, oh, you can write songs as a career. Like it's a proper job, you know? <laughs> and so I thought, right, I've got to try and do a bit of that. And I kind of got in touch with all of my friends who were sort of, whose work I thought was really, really good and who were sort of going places, you know? So I got in touch with Ed Sheeran, who I knew from gigging. We've done a lot of gigs together. And Gwyneth Herbert, um, who I also knew from gigging, and and a few others. And so they were, I think Ed was actually my first, the first one to say yes and come around and write a song. I mean, Gwyneth Herbert was the second. So like, <laughs> but yeah, they were just my network, amazing people that I knew from playing and just being out all the time. And yeah, and they said yes. <laughs> and. The, the Ed, Ed session or the Ed song, I mean, it wasn't necessarily being written for anyone. And actually, from what I remember when we've had this conversation before, it was a song that you wrote and then sort of kind of forgot about. Yeah, well, I mean, it's such a strange story. Well, we sort of, in my head, I was thinking it could be for him. And I think he was thinking it could be for him as well. Although looking back, it was a little bit too late for his first album. I think he had the first album really under his belt already. Um, but yeah, we wrote it and then we only recorded it on a phone because I didn't have recording equipment and I wrote down all the lyrics on a massive piece of paper. We recorded it on his phone and then he went off at the end of the day and he had his phone stolen or it got lost. And so that was that. <laughs> and then about a year later, I started thinking, I wonder if Ed remembers that little song we wrote, you know, and I found the lyrics and texted him and he was like, oh yeah, I remember how it goes. Um, I'm going to record it on the tour bus. So he recorded it on his iPad on the tour bus. And then he met One Direction backstage at the Olympics opening ceremony because they were playing and Ed was playing as well. I mean, that shows how well he was doing already by that point, but he kind of made friends with One Direction and he pitched a bunch of songs to the boys and they loved them. And actually Little Things, which was our song, you know, that was kind of hand-picked by One Direction. And they also chose another one of Ed's songs. But no, that meant a lot to me that they, that they chose it and they loved it. And apparently they loved singing it every night, you know. And that means a lot to me because sometimes they may not, not have had much control over what they were singing. And, and yeah, so that meant a lot to me. But yeah, that was life changing. <laughs> well, no, but I think what was great about it was obviously it was written, as you say, you you had that moment where you were like, okay, I've got to do something. You 
made a determined effort to sort of get in touch with people saying, but it wasn't like, okay, let's write this song for this boy band. Let's do it, you know, and it's yeah. as with all of your songs, you know, there's such an honesty and a human element to them. And I think certainly for a band like One Direction, that they needed that that connectivity was really, really important. And I think for a lot yeah. of One Direction fans, it's probably one of their favourite songs for oh, that reason. Because it you. feels like, you know, they're talking directly to the to the listener. Yeah, and it is real. All the details in it are real details from my and Ed's life, you know, that we, all things that we love about people. Yeah. Yeah, and it's funny when you talk about Ed now, it's like, there, you know, Ed now compared to Ed then, you know. I mean, you probably always knew that he would end up playing, selling out Wembley Stadium, but back then yeah. it was a little way off. It was a little way off, but I have to say, I've never met someone more motivated or focused than Ed. You know, like yeah. even those first couple of gigs that I ever saw him play when we were on the same bill, we were on the same bill a lot back at the beginning, you know. He he just had such an incredible focus and his writing was focused. You could imagine it already in big venues. You could imagine it already on the radio. Mm. It was extraordinary. And his drive, yeah, drive and focus and motivation is just otherworldly. <laughs> It's amazing. And I love like his passion for um, kind of new artists as well and everything. Yeah. It's so wonderful seeing him with Maisie and what he's, the support yeah. that he's giving Maisie. And I'm so yeah. pleased that Maisie, you know, waited out for that, yeah. that deal, that contract, that record yeah. label basically. Because, and she's incredible. She's an absolutely brilliant writer and artist. So, But been around yeah. longer than people think. Yeah. Of course. But that's good because she developed a little bit out of the limelight, which is, I think, very important. And it's something that maybe nowadays in the music industry, artists don't get a chance to do because I think labels don't really take people on early as they used to. So you've got to do a lot on your own before anyone's interested. And I think that's very difficult. Uh, But she's done a really good job. And yeah, I, I hope she just keeps flying now, really. I yeah. think, I think, yeah, absolutely. I think more and more people will, will, will get to know um, her from, well, they absolutely, he's doing 90,000 people a night, so they absolutely <laughs> will. Yeah. I saw that, that lovely, um, that lovely bit of merch they did, which was like, I came for Ed Sheeran, but I went home with Maisie Peters. Oh, that's gorgeous. That's a oh. cool little bit of merch that's, uh, that's, yeah. uh, that I saw that's someone amazing. on, I think it was on her Insta. Um, yeah. What, of course, this means is that, yes, it's a game changer for you. Um, yeah. it, for many reasons, obviously, having a massive song means that people will get you to do it. There's a financial aspect to it, which, of course, is very, very helpful. It yeah. means that maybe you don't have to do any more, of the, too much more of the day jobs. Yeah. Um, you get to work with co-write for lots of other people um but also sort of as importantly you get to make uh, an album probably that you really really want to make the way you want to make it yeah exactly yeah um which was the talk to strangers album in 2014 yeah. yes i went in with sean lee who's an incredible producer and multi-instrumentalist and we just had the best time making that album it was so so brilliant yeah, yeah. And and that has, of course, the song on it, the Slow Mo Tiger Glow song that, again, you probably didn't realise was going to end up doing more things than <laughs> when you wrote it. Yeah, I mean, it's extraordinary. I, I actually wrote that song, Slow Mo Tiger Glow, when I got home from work one day at the bookshop and I was really tired, but I thought, oh, I wonder whose ukulele this is. Like I was living with about five boys <laughs> at that yeah. point. Picked up a ukulele and started like finding chords and that song just came out. And it's a sweet morning love song. And it ended up, yeah, little did I know, but it ended up on a global HSBC advert. So 
it was it was a really big but it was an important moment for me to learn that it's not just songs that I write for other people but my own songs that can really go out there in the world and touch people and reach people you know that was important to to learn um because my artist project is very very close to my heart and I think I'll always do it and that may not you know it it may never earn me as much money as writing for other people but it's not about that because it's I always think what are you going to look back when you're old if you're lucky enough to get to to be old what will you be proud of when you look back at your life and I think about that all the time and I think it's a good way of guiding yourself and listen to your gut you know and your instinct yeah and also it's a really good opportunity to just have um to, to as you say to do all of that but also for everybody to just get to hear that incredible voice which is Aww, I mean you. It, you know that I guess you've always had it that kind of especially the head voice and that kind of I mean it's technically quite hard to do unless it comes naturally yeah. like I I, you'll be surprised like I often find this when I talk to singers it's like if you were to do a song and uh one of your songs and you were to do the demo and then and you would find it really really easy but a lot of people like high with breath is actually not that easy but you're that's just your voice right it's always well, been yeah. there yeah yeah I mean there are things that I should be able to do on demos which I do find incredibly hard, like belting. I'm not really a belter. I can sing pretty loud, but it's never, it never sounds like a proper, like soulful belt. So like, it is very interesting having to change your voice to demo things for different people. And it's a whole skill, which I'm still learning and trying to get better at. But, you know, sometimes it's also better to sing a demo, like not very well, so that then someone else can come along and put their mark on it. I think that's really true. And actually, that's something that I've said to people before is, you know, you've got to make the demo sound good enough to get past a label, but actually don't have it so intimidating. So an artist would listen to it and go, I can't possibly do that. Yeah. So strange, um, dark art, isn't it? It is a dark art. It's a dark art. There's, there's There's a few sort. I mean, obviously, I was very aware of you by this point anyway. But then this is when your name kept popping up on things that... I would hear a song and just go, oh, my God, I love that song. And then I would just, and well, not not by you. And then nine times out of ten, I would look at the credits and go, oh, it's you. Um, oh, that's gorgeous. Thank you. One that's of the so first nice. times I ever remember doing that was on Ribbon by Billy Martin. Yeah. Which is still to this day the most extraordinary record. I mean, was yeah. that written by, I mean, obviously written by you. Was it written for your project or...? Well, no, it was for her. I mean, that's the first song we ever wrote together, actually, Ribbon. So she came round to my house in London. She was probably about 14. And it was one of my first sort of co-writes since I had the publishing deal, kind of. It was quite early days for me in my sort of professional, actual life of co-writing. But um, I'd done a gig with Billy, and I loved her voice. I loved what she did. Um, she was very, very shy at that point, and... Um, but we just bonded. We did like, as we've been talking about, Steve, you know, we did a lot of chatting, we hung out, talked about life and, um, and then wrote ribbon. And it's a song that I absolutely love. I mean, if she hadn't put it out, I think I would have put it out because it's one of those, but sometimes you can't let a song, you know, fall by the wayside. And it felt very special to both of us. So I was really happy that it sort of helped her oh I think it journey. absolutely did yeah I mean it, it was 
I remember talking to, obviously, we have a mutual friend in Claire Waters, and I remember I used to sort of send her things, and the first time I heard it, and it was like, you've got, like, literally, you've got to hear this. And I think it was, it, you know, fundamental in getting Billy sort of signed. And she's yeah. someone, again, that there's, there's a few artists on this list that haven't quite had the attention that they should have done, although they've done really, really well. Yeah. Um, another artist that you worked with then, it's, I still think is one of the un, the absolute unsung, incredible singers of the UK, which was Laura Welsh, who yeah. didn't, who, who like people know, if you know, you know, yeah, but yeah. Um, again, such She's a great, and, yeah. and you must, you know, it must be so wonderful for you just walking into rooms with these people. Yeah, it is. And you do get to meet the most amazing people. And actually, Laura now does a lot of writing for other people. I don't yeah. know. I don't think she's left her artist career forever, but she's exploring the other side of things. And she's a really good writer. Yeah. So that's actually lovely for everyone to have, you know. But yeah, I think we're so lucky to get to meet these creators and everybody creates in different ways and from different places and everyone has different strengths and weaknesses. And it's like, it's just fascinating, isn't it? And every day is different. And we get to meet the most lovely, interesting, cool people. So I feel very, very lucky every day. <laughs> and you get to meet people again, that similarly with, with Ed, you know, a long time before, a little bit before it all happened. You worked yeah. with Tom, Tom Walker quite early on as well. Yeah. So it must be lovely for you to see how it's all happened oh, for him as well. It's absolutely amazing. Yeah. I mean, we sort of, yeah, we've written so many I've sort of, all his early singles were with me, actually, apart from Leave a Light On, which was yeah. <laughs> his huge, huge just that hit. One. Yeah, just that one. But I mean, we wrote together so much. We hung out so much. And we were often writing with another friend like uh, you know, Josh, Craven Jay, we did um, Play Dead with. And then all the others were with Tim Deal, who's called Height. Yes, a lovely, I know lovely Tim. Yeah, love Tim. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you know, we're so privileged when also we get to basically hang out with friends all day. And you do get to know people in such a deep way when you're mm. writing and sharing secrets and stories and, and, then, and have a laugh as well and write about deep things and have a cry, you know. And um, one of the more recent ones I wrote with Tom Walker was All That Matters. And it's love, love is all that matters in the end. And he yeah. had just had a very deep chat with his granny. And I had just lost both my grannies oh, in, no. the, in the same period. And yeah. It was just a really emotional one for us all to write about. And then, you know, then that song goes out in the world and everyone can feel it because it's real. And that's extraordinary, isn't it? You know, it's got to be real. Yeah, no, it's absolutely got to be real. And I think similarly, when you got back with, with Billy for the second record, you yeah. know, I felt like there was so many, again, gorgeous moments on that. And that felt like, mm -hmm. I don't know how, if she had at that time discovered Joni Mitchell, but yeah, there's... Heavy yeah. weather particularly has got yeah. a lot of Joni sort of running through it. Yeah. I which... think, yeah, I definitely think she was um, into Joni. Definitely. Yeah. I think she probably grew up actually hearing music like that and having it quite deep in her psyche because, you know, she, when I first met her when she was 13, she was already playing guitar really beautifully and singing in that delicate, whispery way. Yeah. And I, I think her parents are have been really um, encouraging and supportive. Yeah, so it was just really lovely to write with her and help her express, um, you know, because when you're co-writing, really, you're helping someone express something 
helping someone get something out in a way that they might not be able to do on their own in quite the same way. And that's just such an, it's an honour actually to be able to do that and to get the chance to do that. And sometimes you're not with the artist, sometimes you're writing for the artist. And we yeah. talked a lot about the beautiful, introspective, wonderful moments. Um, talk me yeah. through what happens when you get asked to make a disco record for Steps. <laughs> well, that is a fun story. Okay, so when I was um, 15 to 20, I worked in a music shop in my hometown. I worked in a CD shop and one of my friends that worked in that shop was a huge Steps fan. And that's how I kind of knew about Steps. Um, they were really important in, you know, in her life. And so when I got the chance to write a song for Steps, I was like, I remember Steps. I know the songs were really solid and some of them were very beautiful. And I just remembered them being really, really great songs and sort of, I remember them being like the British ABBA. That's how they always were in my head. And, and when I got the chance to write a song, I was like, I'm going to try and write a song for them so that my friend Gemma is like, wow, that's amazing. So I basically did it for Gemma. And then, and so I immersed myself in their back catalogue and, um, and thought about ABBA a lot. And I, then I wrote with my friend Carl Ryden, who's, um, who's Swedish and he hadn't heard of Steps, but he obviously knows ABBA. So we had a lot of fun writing that song. Um, he's a very good guitarist. We had a lot of fun like writing the sort of um, key changes and chord changes. And I never in a million years knew that it was going to get used as the 20-year comeback single to launch the whole rest of their career. I mean, it's extraordinary. And I think my friend Gemma did say wow in the moment <laughs> so my objective was achieved <laughs> did yeah. she call did you did she call you after she heard it i think she messaged me and she was just like what <laughs> it was amazing i remember hearing the uh the the sort of piano demo the first time that you, i heard it it didn't have any drums on it and i think yeah. it was obviously you singing and i think the very first time i heard the stay by my side into the key change that was yeah. it i was just like oh thank god someone's done it but it's really cool because it's a key yeah. change that doesn't feel like a key change yeah so it's yeah. not cheesy it's, really it's kind of yeah and it's unexpected and I've watched people on dance floors dancing to that and I've seen what happens when they hear that for the first time I mean of course now it's not really the first time when they hear it anymore but I do but at the beginning when it just came out I mean and actually the joy and surprise on people's face when they hear the sort of it's almost like a double the way it steps up it's almost like a double yeah. key change yeah and it's, I mean, how fun to be able to write such fun, interesting, complex pop. I mean, that brings people so much joy. That's so fun. <laughs> Not only that, I think the very, very incredible thing about this, which I don't know if you know, is that when bands have been around for a long time, they tend to, when they do their shows, they tend to have towards the end in the finale, whatever the, the encore or something, you save the biggest hits for the encore. And now the encore of a step show is scared of the dark and tragedy. Wow. wow. I didn't know that because <laughs> I haven't seen them since it came out. So, yeah. I mean, I've seen them, you know, at the time, but a, a wow. classic, a steps classic. Wow. That's so, amazing. And people sing along with it as loud as they sing along with tragedy. And that's the, <laughs> The genius, you know, the genius. Yeah, I went bit. to see them. I went to see them at the O2, and 
it actually moved me to tears, like hearing the whole O2, I think it's 20,000 people yeah. singing my songs. Yeah. It, it actually blew my mind. It was a beautiful, beautiful moment. Yeah. Absolutely. And also Neon Blue was is such a, like, I always said Neon Blue to me feels like a Coldplay record. It's just oh, like a, it's such a stadium <laughs> anthem. Yeah. Oh, you know? thank so you. So there's some, there's some amazing stuff on that. Um, I want to talk to you a bit about, because I feel like there's lots of people that are close to your heart. I would imagine Aurora was probably someone that's very close to your heart. Yeah, it was amazing working with Aurora. And I was so lucky because I got to work with her all together for about three or four weeks. And actually, yeah. that's when you really get to know someone, really get deep inside their world. And she's an incredible writer, incredible artist. And so I was just, you know, when you're with someone like that, you're just trying to enhance what they do or take it almost one step further towards pop radio or, or whatever they need. And she's just incredible. And I'm, I have so much love for her. She's such an artist. I mean, none of it is fake. She's such a strange, wonderful character. She's an amazing performer, dancer, stylist, art, you know, visual artist, all of it. And then, of course, the singing, the writing. It's crazy. She's amazing. <laughs> no rules. Yeah. It's that sort of yeah. Kate Bush Bjork type yeah. world. Yeah. Um, you get away with some fantastic titles. I mean, they're very... You know, from both of you, I'm sure, you know, you get away with gentle earthquakes, you get away with soft universe. I mean, those are, yeah. if they were ever Fiona type titles, yeah. <laughs> even as, as a collaboration, it's like, oh my gosh, that's so much yeah. fun to kind yeah. of do that. It was a real connection there. Yeah. Very, and she only agreed to work with me because she liked the colour of my aura. <laughs> apparently I have, a, <laughs> apparently I've got a pink aura. Which I never knew before. <laughs> okay, well, now that's good. And now you know. Um, yeah. You are still doing solo stuff. So you yeah. get to do the EP in 2018 um, yeah. with Goddess on it. Um, yeah. Again, I love that you, no matter how busy you are, you will always make time for yourself. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's really important to me. It's the, it's the yin and the yang, isn't it? Yeah. And it's just, we all need to express something of our own, you know, unfiltered. I think so that's what it is for me it brings yeah. me so much joy as well to go out and play and meet the crowds and meet everybody and you know I want to do that forever when you're writing songs like that is there a part is, is there a thing where you know whether you want to keep it or whether you should give it away yeah definitely because when I write for myself I'm usually on my own I've very very rarely co-written one of mine so it's a very private intimate thing yeah. But, you know, doing all the pop writing and, you know, co-writing has helped me express myself and be able to delve into some new deep emotions. Um, but then I've taken that and gone and done that on my own. And so that EP, Wild Angels, Sweet Demons EP, that has Goddess on it. I mean, Goddess was a huge turning point for me because actually I hadn't released anything for a couple of years. I hadn't been gigging. I'd been really trying to sort of get my career stable as a songwriter and then I, I went, a lot of stuff happened you know I mentioned my granny's passing away a lot of other quite bad stuff happened and I think I was in a very dark place and actually writing goddess was like a turning point for me it's about why we're here and I think for me a huge part of why I'm here is to make music and and it was just about being alive and choosing to be alive choosing to make music choosing to acknowledge the beauty 
and majesty of the universe. And it was like a ray of light coming into a very dark place. And then, yeah, and then I wrote the rest of the EP from after that moment. And, and I decided also to never stop doing my artist project ever again, because I think they, it can work alongside writing for other people. But as soon as you neglect it, I don't know. I, I think I get depressed. I think it's important to, I'm an artist, you know. I love writing for other artists, but I think I will also always be an artist. And I think it makes me depressed to neglect that and destroy, you know, to destroy it. I think it makes you a better writer for other artists as well, because you're not going to try and crowbar things in that you want to do yourself <laughs> yeah. onto someone yeah. else's record. I think like it's great because you can, it's almost like a cleanse. You can say, okay, I've, I've all my things I've been thinking about for the last two years, I've got out. Yeah. It's an outlet. Yeah. My second one of these things that you did that I just adore was the Natalie Press record song oh, you wrote Far From You. Thank you. felt yeah. to me like you were almost writing a Carpenter's record. Oh, I'm so happy you said that because when I heard her voice, I was like, oh, she sounds like Karen Carpenter. And then at that time, she was actually acting in a series as Karen Carpenter. I didn't know that. I genuinely didn't know yeah. that. Yeah, but I can't remember. I think it was called Glow and I never actually saw it. Ah. Um, I have to find out what it's called. Sorry, that's really bad that I can't remember what it's called. But those that just made complete sense to me. And, and all the music of hers I'd heard, I was like, this just makes so much sense to me to sort of do a carpenter's thing. And, and then when we started writing, it just sort of clicked and made sense. And that's the only song we ever wrote. Mm. Um, I mean, actually, since then, I've written more with her along with Matthew E. White and one or two of them are on Matthew's new album which is brilliant which has just come out it's really a really brilliant record so yeah there's a lovely connection there hopefully we'll pick that up and do some more stuff because she's such an interesting mm. stylistically interesting clever artist and writer and she's just a brilliant person so that was I mean, we were just in a random hotel room with a really crappy keyboard and no recording gear. You know, that was not like a posh, glamorous day, but that song came out, you know. But that felt like the song having you, when you just talked about your childhood and kind of growing up around black and white movies, it felt like that yeah. reached into that a bit as well. Yeah, it definitely did. And I think it's a joy for me when I get to write songs with like interesting chords and interesting harmonies and... um. And I think I love it when pop isn't narrow. I love it when it can reference other eras and other countries. And I, I, love, I love music to be like juicy and like interesting, not just the same four chords going round and round. You know, <laughs> yeah. I love melody and harmony and, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. Def definitely. I also remember we've been lucky enough to do a few things together. And I remember the, the day that, we got together to what ended up with Wildest Dreams for Claire Richards, which was, yeah. we I think we were just both in a sunny or in a really good mood. Yeah. And it's actually desperately hard to write a happy song without it yeah. being cheesy. Yeah, it's one of the hardest things in the world, yeah. <laughs> and I think I kind yeah. of doubled it up with even possibly making it even harder because I think I'd just seen Claire and I don't know why, I think we were talking about, you know, her sort of, marriage and how good everything was yeah. and that sort of like let's write a wedding song oh my god that's going to be impossible <laughs> and also it's you know but um 
it was one of those things that, and I talk about a lot, and you must have this as well. Some songs just literally, there's nothing, 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 nothing. And then within 10 minutes, everything. Yeah. And that's how I remember that song. Yeah. Isn't that strange? Yeah, it's true. Well, I think we talked a lot, didn't we? Yeah. 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 We were talking, but we didn't know what it was going to be. And then when it started coming, it just came. And I... You sang the title straight away. Like you just... Yeah. And that, that rising melody yeah. somehow just came to me. Yeah. And then, and then it felt right. It felt exciting and it felt wild and dreamy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then I guess it just fell into place. I was very inspired to hear about her marriage and her whole journey. And because you'd been hanging out with her, obviously been great friends for a long time. And so, you know, it means a lot to me because I, at that point I hadn't met her actually. Of course I knew her from the media and things yeah. like that, but to hear a very good friend of her speak about her in that way, and, it, you know, it's very personal, very intimate. And so I really felt like I was writing it for her. I was definitely thinking about her and about love. And it just felt right, didn't it? It really did. And it's, um, again, you write a song. It's one song of however many, 50. You never know what's going to happen. Um, turns out to be the title track of the album, which is <laughs> lovely. So lovely. Because yeah. it sort of embodied everything that was about the kind of solo career and and, yeah. and everything so i mean that 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 was fantastic so gorgeous whilst we're on mates of mine you, you also wrote an incredible song for kylie oh, which i remember when i heard you. that album it's just i just, it really stood out to me because it just felt like a 80s summer oh my gosh the chorus i mean yeah it is <laughs> that's just a fun song thank isn't you. it oh well thank you yeah i had a lot of fun writing it i mean that was quite a weird one for me because actually it was in deep deep lockdown and it was a Zoom session. Yeah. So, and it was with Troy Miller, who, yeah. and he'd been really thinking about sort of Quincy Jones type of chords. And he's a very interesting um, mind in terms of, yeah, thinking about, yeah, chords and voicings and stuff mm. like that. And he's a drummer as well. So it's always like very rhythmic. And, but yeah, I just wanted to try and write something really positive and uplifting. And actually, it's very lucky that we did because when it came out it was still basically lockdown and I think people needed that record to dance to and I think it really gave everyone like a joyful moment and I mean you know you're so deep inside Kylie's mind and the way her live show is and the way her well her whole career you know you've been so intrinsic to her whole career and like so you know how much it means to people when she gives them that joy mm. And for me, just being a tiny part of that is such an honour because she means so much to the public, I think. And mm. yeah, she's just, just such a sort of an iconic fountain of joy. You know, people needed that. Yeah, <laughs> They really did. I think they needed that whole album. But yeah, that, that, I, I've, I've absolutely adored that song. It's just, it's, oh, thank it, you. it's so good. Um, the third one of these songs. Now, do you know what? This is a really weird one because I actually didn't know until this morning that you wrote this. Ah. I remember hearing this song uh, on Grey's Anatomy once and it apps. I, yeah, I just, you know, you, I just ended up in tears. And oh. it's a song called We Carry On by oh Peter Grimwald. Yeah. Yeah. We all cried when we wrote that. That we went very deep to write that. Yeah. Tell, talk about that song. So I wrote that a few years ago in Nashville um, 
yeah, with Peter Gronewald, who's whose voice, whose incredible voice you can hear on the record. Yeah. And um and the other writer was KS Rose, mm. who's a beautiful singer-songwriter and producer as well. And I'd never met them before. They're absolutely brilliant, lovely guys. And we did that thing where quite quickly we started talking about quite deep personal things and and struggles and how much it takes to keep going. And the fact that a tiny little ray of hope can, can change everything and keep you going. And we all cried during that co-write. And I cried while he recorded the vocal. And then even when I did backing vocals on it, I cried. <laughs> it was one of those days. But it was really good. You know, sometimes you've got to let that emotion out, haven't you? You know, and I think the fact that they used it on Grays, they used it in such a feely, emotional, sensitive way. I mean, it's just exactly right, isn't it? And I love the fact that you ended up in tears. I mean, I'm sorry, but <laughs> I love it. Well, I mean, and I've listened to it since, and it's something, um, but because it doesn't have a particularly what would be described as a formulaic structure yeah. it kind of it breathes it moves it feels human and it does that i mean grays obviously love those things that just yeah. build and build and build but it does yeah. it because of the soundscapes involved in the way that it's produced and just the the nature of that those three words just yeah. building and building and building it's so human and yeah. you know oh, that's you. A, a wonderful thing but i, I again weirdly i've always loved that song and when i was like looking this morning i was and i was like oh yeah of course she, yeah of course she's involved in that <laughs> <laughs> oh thank you you're so kind <laughs> now i know it makes perfect sense that you're involved oh. in that and um and i i love what you said okay. about troy miller as well i've got a i'm a huge respect for troy miller yeah. um, he's fantastic um aussie wise you were back with our wonderful natalie brillia with yeah. the, um again yeah. that's it must have been fun for you and and actually my mate Luke Fitton as well um yeah uh who I remember he called me and he said I'm going with Fiona I was like oh my god you're gonna have the best time in the world Aww, it's gonna be so much fun that's so cute. Um, but actually that must have been really cool because Natalie hadn't written for a long time and yeah. was looking for the right team of people I feel and it was so important for her to find that and uh that must have been a, a, a kind of lovely thing but also a little bit of a I know you. I was going to say pressure. You don't do pressure. You're always like open <laughs> to do anything. But there's a bit of it's. You did end up writing the kind of comeback single. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, yeah. I I I do feel the pressure, and I suppose I put a lot of pressure on myself. Of course, and of course, on some level, I'm like trying to write torn Mark too. You know, impossible. I'm trying to, <laughs> well, yeah, it's impossible because even that wasn't written for her. Exactly. And also she's in such a different phase now. So actually it's very important. It was really important to me to just get to know her and see what she wanted to do and where she wanted to take it. And I think we have made songs which fit with where she is in her life and they fit with her voice and her sort of genre. And, you know, it's just right. You can't sort of go back to what was probably successful to her when she was, you know, 18 or 20, wherever she was, you know, so it's like you have to, yeah, I do put a lot of pressure on myself, but yeah, it was lovely to write with her because actually when you write with people who have lived and have wisdom and know what they want to say, that's gorgeous because then all you have to do is like sort of help them put it into a song. And mm. it was like that with Natalie because she's been through a lot and wants to write about it, wants to talk about it. She wants to help other people with her music and so there's a lot of love behind what she's doing and there's a lot of generosity of spirit and it's just it's just lovely to help someone express all those things 
And she's such a cool performer, you know, it's such a joy to like see her gig these songs. So Yes, and, and perform with her and some, a few as well, I saw. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was so sweet. I did some backing vocals for her on Graham Norton and um, and the piano room, BBC Two, yeah, Radio Two. Yeah. So that was really, really lovely. Um, yeah. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's special. I mean, I, I tend to say yes to adventures. So, and that's how you learn, that's how you live. How you have fun, and so yeah. She's like, "Do you want to go on Graham Norton?" I was like, "Yes,", yes. <laughs> and then I was like, "Oh my god, I'm so scared." <laughs> <laughs> it's worth it because you get your own dressing room, and it's yeah. like it's it fun really being fun. in that building. It's fun being yeah. in the building. <laughs> and then from someone that's um, you know has has kind of lived and been around a bit more, just the other end of the scale, like new artists. You love working with new artists. You wrote a. a beautiful song called since i left you with joy crooks yeah. um she feels like she's been ready to go for, yeah. you know fall out for a while and it's only going to be a matter of time yeah she's an incredible artist and you know you know joy is just she's actually sitting there producing as well and mm. the way her mind works with music is brilliant and the way she writes lyrics is so strange and wonderful and poetic and real and funny or wry or emotional. I mean, and this, her album's so meaningful. I absolutely, she's got to be a world superstar. And if she's not going to be, I'm going to eat my hat. You know, she's incredible. But, you know, the, when we wrote Since I Left You, she walked into that room, you know, I'd never met her before. She walked in and basically broke down, sort of just broken up with someone I've been going out with for years and, and I've got to write a song about it right now let's go and I was like okay this is great I was like this is my dream country. I was like, let's go really sorry for you but uh, amazing for us yeah and she needed to let it out and I was like great I'm here for you come on let's go. so that song and I love the way she sings you know she just sounds like broken Billie Holiday achy but funny She's just incredible. Yeah. You're also um, have worked with new artists and you continue to work with new artists. Um, I know you were mentoring um, for Ivan Novello. Um, yeah. And, yeah. you know, were part of picking various people and, and actually worked directly with, uh, was it Rachel? Yeah, Rachel Chinariri. Yeah. Yes. Who's a brilliant yeah. artist and she's going from strength to strength at the moment. She's releasing her music's really, really beautiful, really cool, cinematic, indie. She's just a real force. So definitely she's one to watch. And yeah, she's releasing new music right now. So everyone go and have a listen. She's brilliant. Also, I mean, again, with outside of the actual writing of songs, um, I know that you were involved in the uh, in the credits due uh, movement that uh, Bjorn Orveas yeah. from ABBA was at. And actually, I think that's yeah. so important. I quite like, it's quite, it was quite good this morning. Um, most of the, most of the times I go on Spotify now, when you know you do do show credits, most of the times it is there, but yeah. um, I think it's really important what he's trying to do to make sure that people are. Yeah. If you yeah. want to find out, you can find out basically. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, in a way, because the record companies are very good at putting people's names on the back end of yeah. who of who wrote the songs, but and publishers aren't. So we're trying to educate people to understand how to put their information onto the back end so they can get the credit they deserve and get paid and i mean that's becoming more and more important with the rise of things like tiktok and a lot of people who may not know that they're 
writing a song that's going to be a world smash on TikTok, but and they won't get paid if they, you know. So there's a lot to learn. But yeah, Bjorn asked me to get involved because I've been so involved in campaigning through the Ivers Academy and and um, yeah, of course I was honoured to be asked and. It's important. It's a difficult thing to talk about because it's complicated, but it doesn't have to be complicated. Yeah. <laughs> and it's information and information is power. Knowledge is power. So I think musicians and songwriters need to become a bit better armed because at the moment it's pretty tricky to survive as a songwriter. Um, and, you know, the labels are making huge profits again. Mm. Everyone is, everyone's having champagne again, except songwriters. So it's time to arm ourselves with some information and facts and knowledge and power. Yeah. And it's helpful when you get someone like him to behind that as well, I think. Yeah. And Bjorn's amazing. His whole career now is focused. I mean, obviously they've just released all the new ABBA stuff, but it's like really he spends all his time campaigning for songwriters' rights. He's not sort of on a yacht somewhere. Mm. And that is so generous and meaningful, you know, for someone of that stature and at that point in their life to be, devoting all their time to helping the next generation of songwriters come through. It's extraordinary, actually. Yeah. It, it really is. It really is. Although I'm beyond excited to go and see the show. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> like in the last, <laughs> in the last, well, it's, it's really weird because we, it's um, obviously they are the, the ab- avatars, but the band is the band. So I know a few people that are, they were under all this kind of, you know, we can't say wow. anything. And then all of a sudden it was like, what are you doing? It's like, well, I'm sort of in the ABBA band. Wow, that's amazing. Because <laughs> it's a real, it's oh mainly God. Brits in the band, yeah. So it's I like quite a young that. band, yeah. So the wow. band is live um, and then the avatars, obviously they recorded all their stuff. What's great yeah. about it is obviously they did it all as a show. So it wasn't yeah. all the archive footage. It really is them. Um, that's going to be amazing. That's going to be quite exciting. So going to be fun. interesting to see how it works, but I have yeah. a feeling it will be the first virtual situation to emotionally connect. Yeah. I think people would be I quite surprised. Yeah. So oh, um, that's so fascinating. Yeah. I know. It's gonna yeah. be I know, I'm it's too it's far too exciting. Like I think last <laughs> week they, they just unveiled the uh some of the outfits and they've Dolce Gabbana have done the outfits. Oh wow. For gorgeous. the for the avatars. Oh wow. So that's and then, so what's great is that they can just change them next season. Yeah. <laughs> it's oh, like wow. it's yeah, yeah, exactly. It's mad. it's it's mad. Um it brings us right up to date. Um <laughs> I want to talk to you about fault lines because fault lines yeah. it's like it feels like I mean everything that you've produced has been good, but this feels so complete. This feels oh, like a beautiful you. and I imagine obviously it was a lot of it was done during the last two years when it was quite tricky, but yeah. this feels like the most perfect collage of your life almost oh in God, one record thank you. thank you so much i mean yeah so fault lines and revelations and the other songs which are going to make up the ep which is coming out this yeah. june they're the first songs that i've ever released that i've produced myself and i produced them in lockdown um and it was great to have the time to do that that was one of the silver linings of lockdown you know and fault lines is one of the ones that i spent um the longest time on working it out how to make it feel right and fit together right and I'm so proud of it and there's something very special about like having made every element of it and then the pride that comes with that it's like I don't know how I'd ever go back to working with a producer now but I'm not ruling it out of course but I'm so much I've always had arrangements in my head and now for the first time ever I've got my own arrangement out onto the recording in an unfiltered way and 
And yeah, Fault Lines is an incredible, incredibly personal song. It's about a breakup. It's about heartbreak and gaslighting and terribly toxic times. And then managing to separate yourself from that and come out the other side and regain your own voice and your own sense of truth and right, you know, rightness in the world. And so it's incredibly important for me, that song. And yeah, so that and Revelations and then four other songs. That's going to be my EP, which is coming really, really soon. I'm cur- I've currently got vinyl delays, but apart from that, it's like dot, 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 watch this space, it's coming. Everyone's <laughs> yeah, yeah. got vinyl delays. <laughs> But what I love yeah. about, and as a producer, what I love about it is it's um, it's actually funny that you mentioned um, the Beach Boys and Brian Wilson earlier, because it kind of has echoes of that where I, as a record producer, there's so many times I'll listen to something and it won't stop me enjoying it, but I'll just go, yep, I know how they did that. I know what that sound is. When I was listening to those two songs, there was, I was going, what is that? How has she done, like what is that? What's making that noise? And I imagine again, it's, it's you. So it's all this kind of organic stuff. There's all, it's textures. It's, and because there was no deadline and it was just you, you could just toy with it when you wanted to. Yeah. And just like, like a painting. Yeah. Just a case, just add little brush strokes when you wanted to. Yeah, absolutely. And what a joy. I had so much fun going deep into that and the synth that you can hear on, Yes. On Fault Lines is a Juno 106. It's analog. And I played around with that a lot. But it's like when you find a sound on that, you basically have to record it straight away. Because if you turn it off and turn it on again, you'll never find that sound again. So, like, you know, there was an immediacy to having to make those decisions, mm. um, which I love because I love to like get it in. And then I played with things a lot afterwards in terms of arrangement. And there's a huge explosion near the end of the track, which actually I basically wanted to create quite a sort of orgasmic ecstatic kind of sound yes um, because I've never heard that on a record I mean maybe I haven't been listening to the right records but like I just I wanted to try and create that sort of a constellation of 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 absolute joy you know and then things kind of calm down again like the dust kind of falls at the end you know so it's like I had a lot of fun and you don't get to Sometimes when you work with other artists, you don't get to do those kind of arty, crazy things that you want to experiment with. So I had a lot of fun just doing whatever I wanted. <laughs> and what ma- what makes that? Is it that, that I know exactly what you mean on that explosion? What yeah. what actually makes that up? Is it just a combination of lots of things getting bigger at the same time? It, it was mostly the Juno. Um, and I, I was just messing about with it when I was recording. And then I and then I just managed to make that sound and then I let it carry on and 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 until it faded away and then and and then and let the repercussions of it fade away Mm. and then but yeah some of that and then there's also percussion in there there's a lot of like finger symbols yeah because I wanted it to sound like little temple bells and things like that and yeah it's quite I suppose it's quite a sort of there's a lot of spiritual feeling in that there's a lot of you can hear my breath there's like a sigh near the end and I when I was recording the vocal and I was like I'm not editing the sigh out I'm going to leave it because it means almost more than any lyric could mean just to hear that sigh and that's like that's inspired by um a Jeff Buckley record where at the beginning of the recording you can just hear him sigh and then he starts the song I think it's lover you should have come over Mm. and 
I can't remember which song it is, but it's on Grace and it yeah. starts with that sigh. And I remember the first time I ever heard it, like every hair in my body stood up and I was like, wow. And I sort of learned how it's not just, of, it's not singing and it's not just lyrics. It's like everything that you put into the record that as a human, you know, if your piano stool creaks while you're, you know, and those are the things that make it feel real and lovely and interesting. Yeah. They do. And I think in a world where, People are disbelieving more and more what can be done with technology or when people are being a little, um, for want of a better word, lazier when they make records or or things are a little more disposable where something can work for a couple of weeks and then you're on to the next thing. Making something that's timeless, couldn't yeah. and timeless and human, I feel yeah. that couldn't be more important. Yeah. Yeah, we've got to try. Yeah. And and to create those emotions and you know, you've done you've done this with so many of your songs, but for a listener to actually listen to something and to evoke an emotional response from a human wow. is the best thing in the world, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, what more what, what more could you want as a songwriter, you know, yeah. than to sort of have than to have your listener feel something and go through something or release something that they need to release or dance or sing along or you know, it's incredible. I'm so happy we get to do what we do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. And also you're doing, obviously it's an independent thing, but it's great you're doing, you know, there is, uh, when you talk about songwriters and kind of the whole financial side of it, because you're an artist as well, there are ways of, of doing that because you have a fan base and you have enough of a fan base that will go and buy your vinyl and go and buy yeah. your, you know, special editions and all that kind of stuff. And there is, yeah. as much as people do kind of tend to look at, um, you know, massive trending things and everything like that. There's still a really big market out there for music. And I feel like there's a lot of what I would describe as album artists that yeah. if you were to take their combined um, physical sales, plus the, 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 the downloads, plus the streaming, plus the live stuff, yeah. they'd probably be number one or like top yeah. five anywhere else. Yeah. It's just, it's so the kind of some of the best music in the world isn't, anywhere near what would be described as the singles charts. Yeah, I agree. And I think I know a lot of artists like that, you know, and, and I think that's why it's lovely when fans dig about in the internet and, and happen across you and then you become one of their fam uh, favourite yeah, artists. Exactly. I mean, that's so special. And everyone's got a different definition of success. And mine really is to be able to carry on doing what I'm doing and spread a bit of joy and healing in the world and lots and lots of love spreading love in the world and whether I get to do that on a small scale or a big scale that's my job is done you know and you get to currently do it live back out live now as well so you can actually yeah. see the faces of the people reacting yeah which is just so fun I've got lots of festivals and things this summer and I'm also going on a double headline tour with Adam Beatty who's another singer-songwriter who uh, we both play in each other's bands as well. Brilliant. So we're going to have an amazing summer. So happy to be on the road gigging again after everything we've just all been through. So, yeah. That's good. That's good. <laughs> just just to finish up, obviously you have done mentorship uh, and you do talk to new artists and new artists. Go yeah. Always a tricky question, but I mean, where is it if there is the 16-year-old version of you now, what 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 do you advise them? I definitely advise them to broadly experiment, you know, as widely as they can with sounds and genres. And, um, and I also tell, you know, and to not give up 
and to try and just try and sort of tune out some of the BS from the world or from the industry or use that to fire you up, you know, not let it get in your head and just really think about the music and listen to all sorts of music, collaborate with everybody and anybody because that's how you learn. Um, and to have faith, I suppose, you know, there's something about being young where you're simultaneously so low in confidence but have some sort of belief and your life isn't laid out for you yet. And that's really magical. So I'd say, yeah, keep, keep the faith. Great advice. Great advice. It's, it's, it's served you very well along with, you know, that thing of saying yes to stuff and, and just kind of really sticking out for what you believe as well. And, um, and again, being, being, being real, just being honest yeah. and yeah, that, totally. Um, okay. Amazing to catch up. And yeah, uh, lovely to chat to you. Soon. Thank you so much for uh, for talking to me on this, and I'm sure we shall see each other soon at some point. See you soon in the studio to write a song yeah. or at a gig dancing, but hopefully both. <laughs> hopefully both. Well, steps are doing summer shows, so come and see Yay. steps outdoors. Yes, please. So we'll do I'm that. Coming. We'll do that. <laughs> Amazing. All right. Thanks very much. Loads of love. Thanks, Steve. Bye.